0: where you can also learn more about working with me. Hi, Mary Lee Gannon here, and I'm really happy that you're with me today for this very special podcast number three called The Three Things. Podcast three, being on The Three Things, is no accident. I have been coaching, leading in executive leadership roles, parenting, for a long time and I've seen time and time again certain themes come to bear and I used to think that working hard was all it took to succeed but I learned very quickly that's not the case. You know, I taught myself a lot of skills, many of which I would have been considered a rock star. I rose quickly in corporate America. I'm still there. But by most measures, I was a success, but it didn't feel that way. You know, no matter how many president or executive director roles I had, I never really felt satisfied. heard me say this before satisfied is underrated if people were satisfied where they are they wouldn't feel that they have to strive they wouldn't feel that they have to get back on the treadmill to nowhere that exhausts them time and time again i felt like i was practicing in a lead role practicing practicing as an understudy and that any day the real star would show up and steal it away Like I was almost an imposter. Being divorced only made it worse, so I put my head down and kept working harder and gaining more and more for corporate America, not for myself, for the roles that I had. The only thing I achieved for myself was exhaustion. That's when I started observing people who truly understand peace. I began reading their books and listening to their podcasts and TED Talks. The research was there. The message was consistent and clear. Life carries with it suffering. We all have suffering. And it comes when we can't be with the discomfort of reality, when we can't accept things. A resistance builds with that tug of war between fighting truth and accepting it. Suffering is greater when reality is not accepted. And the negative perceptions that we don't want to feel that lie under the surface pervade. When we are really uncomfortable with ourselves, we externalize the uneasiness as judgment, continually comparing ourselves to others. How many times have you sat at the playground with your children or somewhere else and observed other people and are automatically comparing yourself in your situation to them and theirs. When we judge them, we judge ourselves far worse. Still the resistance persists because the tension needs to be reconciled, not externally, by projecting judgment and expectations and perfectionism, but from acceptance within we need only remember one thing about being happy. Once the resistance between fighting against the truth and accepting reality is gone, so is the suffering. Imagine that. If you could get rid of the resistance to what really bothers you, all of your distress would disappear. The problem is we often don't want to look at what is at the root of our discomfort. And we run away from it with all of these bad behaviors of distancing, being detached, not being close to people, pushing down on them. The self-judgment is at far too great a cost because we don't want to feel sad. We don't want to feel unsatisfied. We don't want to feel those feelings that we need to process through so that we can release them. Once we own something, we can release it. When we turn away from it, it chases after us like a nipping chihuahua at our heels. So we run, and it keeps chasing us down. What if you could look at your perceived limitations without the judgment, without the fear? That's freedom. That is true success. That's what we work on. Facing our demons takes courage. What does it mean to be courageous in a high-stakes moment of doubt, criticism, frustration, judgment, sadness, before we say or do something regret. Think about the last time you were in a meeting and something came out of your mouth that you regretted later, or you were talking to one of your family members and said something that you regretted later. This is what happens when we're not self-regulating, when we're not managing ourselves. So how do we hold still with discomfort to unpack it and accept what we can do about it and what we cannot do about it? Let me say that again. Accept what we can do about it, and what we can't. That acceptance is key. At work, if we can't master this, we lose respect. Those who have the courage to manage themselves and stay calm, no matter what happens, have executive presence. Those who can't do not. You know when you feel confident and when you don't. You know when someone is comfortable with themselves and when they aren't. You notice when someone walks into the room and commands attention, That's executive presence, or conversely, if they fade into the background or overcompensate to be heard. Have you ever been at a meeting and you know that person? You know that person really well. They're just going to speak to be heard. They speak top of mind. They're not thinking about what they're saying. The smart person is the last person to talk because they've taken it all in and then ask the question that hasn't been asked or make the comment that hasn't been made. You can look at a person and immediately observe their confidence as well as their ability to draw interest and relate to others. That's executive presence. Their finesse, conviction, and charisma are intriguing. They are self-assured and comfortable in their own skin. You can tell they have value. And they take good care of themselves and they know their value. You may wish you had what they have yet aren't sure how to build it. You may feel life is unfolding faster than you can keep up with, right? That treadmill just keeps going faster and faster, and you get on it, and you're going faster and faster and faster, and now you're tired. And you may fear you have already been labeled as not leadership material too emotional, not strong, not likable, or someone to disregard. That is gutting. These stereotypes downgrade careers, relationships, and your happiness, and they're just not fair, nor are they necessary. They are also avoidable and reversible. I've held chief executive roles for organizations worth up to $31 million within large companies with up to 95,000 employees for more than two decades and been a certified executive coach for most of that time. What I can tell you with one certainty is that presence, be it executive presence, leadership presence, relationship presence, relational presence, and life mastery can indeed be developed. But with one caveat, you must want to grow in three areas. And now we're at the heart of today's topic. The three things. Number one, your mindful self-awareness. Your ability to observe your thoughts, how they affect your behavior, and how you are perceived by others. Let's go after that again. Your thoughts, how they affect your behavior, and how you are perceived by others. Very important. Most important part of this is all without judgment. So there's internal and external self-awareness here. You can see that, how I'm viewing myself, but how others are viewing me. Number two of the three things. Number two is your self-regulation, your ability to notice your emotions, especially under fire, not turn away from them, but hold still to unpack how they are nothing more than your imagination before you do something you regret. That's self-control. That's executive presence. And number three, your self-acceptance. Your ability to be kind to yourself, to know that no matter what the situation, you are okay with who you are, no judgment. You remember who values you, mostly you, yourself. Your compassion for others grows. Compassion for self and others is the fulfilled human condition. The trifecta of the three things is your self-acceptance. Now the three things take humility and vulnerability and none of us like to be vulnerable because we're afraid somebody's going to see that we don't have it all together or they're going to see that we're struggling with something. That's human. When you armor up and put on that guard, you're not being vulnerable, which means you're not being self-aware, you're not self-regulating, and you're not self-accepting. These two human states can be impossible to develop when fear and the need to control are in the way. That's your ego. We've talked about that before. Ego can be the barrier to the three things. And yes, we all have ego, regulating it is a superpower. So when we master the three things, we know what to do when we feel jealous, afraid, frustrated, dismissed, ignored, marginalized, brokenhearted, minimalized, attacked, defensive, defenseless, in pain, alone, and abandoned. We learn how to be with those uncomfortable feelings instead of running away from them because our ego told us to play it safe, not a good place to be. We give ourselves compassion in these moments. Over time, the intensity of the fight flight flee reaction melts to self-compassion, and in this space, in this still space, we embrace freedom and forgiveness. We can give even the most egregious perpetrators compassion because we open ourselves to understand what they must have gone through to get to such a dark place, what it must be like to be them, always in the dark. You know that person that you really dislike? They dislike themselves far more than you dislike them. Volumes of research show us that the leading reason people feel happy and fulfilled is because they believe they are worthy of happiness and success. They have a sense of belonging in positions of power, influence, love, and happiness. They deserve to be there. They accept it. Conversely, people who aren't happy, who are less liked, and are less effective feel they don't fit in or belong. Happy people don't hurt one another. We work on mastering the three things because they challenge limiting beliefs that get in the way, especially the unfounded perception of unworthiness. Let me tell you right now, you belong. You are worthy. You belong here with me. You belong with the people who care about you and there are people who care about you and you are worthy. You're worthy to be everything that you dream of being. You're already there. Let's just get you to be able to show up feeling and behaving that way. Unworthiness is not an emotion. It is a flawed belief. It is much deeper than an emotion. It is not a momentary feeling, but a distorted core conviction that makes the ego guard against risk so as not to be hurt. And again, in the last episode, we talked a lot about ego. It's there to protect you, but it can be a hindrance when it's driving your life. When we unravel our assumptions and stand them up against the truth, a clearing opens there. Power and self-acceptance emerge. These three things are not developed with conferences or self-help books because you've probably done all of those, right? You've gone and taken classes, certifications, degrees, other external activity because the three things are internal. They challenge you to look inside yourself with all your imperfections and like what you see. You might think, well, how can I like myself when I am doing poorly at something I really value? That is precisely when you want to like yourself the most. For your effort, for your curiosity, your determination, your thirst for growth. Perfection is never the goal. Self-acceptance and life mastery are the goal. Again, life mastery and self-acceptance. That's the nirvana Perfectionism kills careers and relationships. And I see this all the time. Oh, I'll just work a little harder. I'll just refine this report a little bit more. I'll just rework my resume. We're seeking perfectionism when we need to be vulnerable and say, hey, done is better than perfect. Done gets the deal. Done gets the appointment. Done gets happy. Mastery of self is where freedom and efficacy lie. There will be no more searching for clarity when the goal is mastery of self. Clarity shows up right in front of your face. No more doubt, only curiosity. No more expectations, only awareness. You begin to see things differently. Things that have been there all along, but your perspective has shifted, and now you can see them. Now that sandstorm has settled. The smoke and mirrors are gone. There's no more climbing up the hill. No more treadmill to nowhere. No more scratching and clawing. You're sitting back and it's coming to you. All of this mastery, all of this wisdom, all of this knowledge is right there in front of you. You just can't see it with the sandstorm in the way. That sandstorm is ego and doubt. If you are grasping at desires or averting fears, You're controlled by them. And if you want something you don't have or are avoiding something because it makes you uncomfortable, you are controlled by it. You're controlled by that very thing. These afflictions are the way the ego is telling you what it needs. It's trying to be affirmed. It's trying to be safe. Something is not at rest for the ego. Your confidence and self-esteem are at risk in this state of despair. And it's not fair for you to live that way. You're afraid that you aren't good enough and that you're not safe. I need to play it safe. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be embarrassed. Have you ever felt like you were being tossed around by racing thoughts and turbulent emotions? Almost just like inside a bag. It's just bouncing off the walls of the bag. You're being tossed around back and forth. Who hasn't? We've all been there. Developing mindful self-awareness. Self-regulation and self-acceptance, those three things, assures the ego that you are safe, that you belong, that you are worthy. In this state, you conduct yourself differently. You have poise, candor, confidence. You're fun, funny, friendly, interesting, interested, open, and content. You feel no threats or aspersions. You are loved. You are love. You draw love. You give love. Are you ready to step into that space? It's a whirlwind of fulfillment. It might even scare you at first, but that's okay. These examples show how self-awareness helps to reframe assumptions and grow your personal worth. Because again, self-acceptance is the goal. The trifecta is the self-awareness. And we start to get there. We start to understand the three things by being mindful. And what's mindfulness? And there are all kinds of books, all kinds of descriptions of what it is to be mindful. But I will sum it up very easily for you this way. Mindfulness is a particular way of paying attention to what you pay attention to. So you might notice your thoughts going off in a certain direction and saying to yourself, I wish I could stop thinking that way. The key to mindfulness is there is absolutely no judgment in your observation. You become a fly on the wall, a third-party perspective to what is going on in your thoughts without judging them, simply saying, oh, yes, I do that sometimes. Oh, I notice that I'm thinking this because as we've said in the first podcast, Thoughts lead to emotions, which lead to behaviors. So when you can mindfully pay attention to the thoughts that are in your head, oh yes, this is me feeling stressed, you can then move into the feeling and identify and name the feeling. Naming feelings is really freeing. I'm feeling not stress is really not a feeling that's a symptom the feeling here is that i'm going to be judged i'm feeling judged i'm feeling that i'm not capable i'm feeling ineffective i'm feeling sad i'm feeling whatever that feeling is to be able to say it out loud and when you can say it to someone that's even more freeing so we're mindfully starting to pay attention to the thoughts that are going over and over in our head so that we are aware of them without getting trapped in them and them leading us around on a leash like an animal. Okay, so let's review this again. What is mindfulness? It's a particular way of paying attention to what you pay attention to without judgment. It's noticing from a third-party perspective without reaction for the purpose of learning and getting to know yourself. Mindful people have self-awareness, self-regulation, and self-acceptance. They have the three things. Admired leaders and cherished people are mindful. When we're mindful, we have no preconceived ideas, no expectations, no judgments, no need to be right, no That person that needs to be right, they're always dissatisfied because we can't be right all the time. It's much more healthy to want to get it right than to be right. They have no need to be recognized, no assumptions, no perfectionism. You know that feeling at work where you just wish people would recognize you more? When you're mindful, you're very aware of what you're contributing. And you don't need to have that very nice to be affirmed. But it's not necessary. You're satisfied without it. We invite love when we're mindful, compassion, and friendliness. We invite that in, and we give it back freely. We rediscover who we are authentically when all of the armor of protecting ourselves, when the ego is in front of our face, is stripped away. That's vulnerability. And vulnerability is where we can be ourselves. And we can fail but still be awesome. We can get something wrong and say, I'll learn for that next time. I'll get it right the next time. Being mindful is a respite from chaotic emotions that will bring you down every single time. I didn't get this right. I expected to do this and it didn't work out. and It doesn't seem fair. If we feel off course, we can concentrate on our in-breath and our out-breath. Very slow, deep breaths. Think of what it would be like in the middle of a heated argument if you didn't have to keep up, if you didn't have to defend yourself. If you just paused and took a very deep breath, it would set everybody else in the conversation back a bit because you're no longer playing their game. It's Now on your terms, you're slowing down. Lawyers do this very well. No focus on the past or propelling ourselves into the future. It's just staying in the moment. That is mindfulness. Paying attention to what is in our heads and what we're observing in the moment. Not looking back, not looking forward. Now if we are met with negativity, we observe our suffering. And that of the other person, name the feeling, get curious about it. Get curious about what's behind it and can be with that demon. Understand the feeling instead of reacting or turning away. Have you ever been with someone who's going through a difficult situation, may have been diagnosed with something or is broken hearted, and you can't reconcile your own discomfort with that feeling to even be present with them? This is how we are more present with people. When we can take that deep breath in and say, yes, I see my thought. I'm comparing this to my own situation. My feeling here is one of uncomfortableness but that's okay let me just take a slow deep breath I've got this I want to be here for this person I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to accept myself as not perfect in this moment and maybe what I can say to them is hey I can't fix this for you but I can be here with you let's just go have a coffee if all we do is just listen to music that's okay We lean into vulnerability and contact it. We unpack the unrest and realize that the perceived threat is only our imagination. Not a real threat, right? Because there isn't a a devil that's going to bite our head off. Truly, when we're mindful, we're putting our head in the lion's mouth because we realize the lion is not real. The lion's not real. It's just our ego. Trying to scare us so that we'll play it safe. It's part of us. We don't want to judge it. We just need to observe it that it's there so that it doesn't again lead us around on a leash. In a mindful state, the power of suffering is diffused and eventually flows through us, leaving no regret, no guilt, no frustration, no anger, no resentment. Mindfulness is a superpower that builds resilience. It takes practice. Everything else that you read, everything about mindfulness is very well researched. This is a theory that's been around. Not, It's not New Age. It's been around for centuries. It's based in Eastern philosophy. Very well grounded. And if we practice mindfulness, our ability to build our three things, the mindful self-awareness, the self-regulation, and self-acceptance grows. So I would encourage you to make a note right now of what mindful daily practices you'd like to work into your routine. And they can be very simple. They can be reading a short passage every morning or every evening. They can be keeping a little notebook at the side of your bed to write down things that you noticed from the day's uh, activities or writing down something that you're grateful for every day. It can be sipping a slow cup of tea in the morning while you're just deep breathing and watching the sunrise. Taking a mindful walk, which is a walk where we're not ruminating over conversation we had, but we're noticing the weight of our steps, staying in the moment, following our breath when we're walking. These mindful activities, crafts, keep us in the moment. These activities train our mind to be a little bit more aware of what we're thinking so that when our mind runs away from what is healthy for us, we can observe that and say, oh, yes, that's just my mind wandering. I can bring it back to what I want to focus on. Because when you're out of alignment, you can always ask yourself, What am I focusing on? Am I focusing on the three things? My self-awareness, my self-regulation, my self-acceptance. May I be gentle with myself in this moment? Hand to heart sometimes and say, may I be gentle with myself in this moment? Well, I'm very happy that you spent these minutes with me. I very much enjoy being with you. And I'm wishing you a very mindful rest of your day. I'm glad you were with me today, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.